Good morning, friends. I wanted to take just a minute to set the context for our reading today. Our reading is from the book of Job, and we all know the story of Job, the righteous man who was tested and refused to curse God, the good man who had everything taken away from him, even his health, the man who cursed the very day he was born, but refused to curse God. Job, this righteous, upright man who's brought to his knees when all is taken from him. He loses his property and all of his cattle. He's inflicted with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. His family is mercilessly slaughtered. Why? As a test. Satan tells God that Job's righteousness is inconsequential because he has privilege. He has all good things. Take these things away from him and Job will curse God, Satan says. The true test of Job's faith is how he responds when all is taken from him. Now, understanding the book of Job is complicated by the fact that it's clearly the product of different writers from different times with different goals. The basic arc of the story, where the upright Job has everything taken away from him but refuses to curse God, likely represents an oral tradition, a story told around the campfire. The rest of the book, with Job's friends giving him advice, dialogues between God and Satan, possibly later additions. And then we have chapter 28, the chapter we're hearing today. This chapter stands alone. It is a momentary interlude in the middle of a long passage where Job defends his faith in God to his friends. It is one of the most poetic passages in the entire Bible and is so stylistically different from what comes before and after that it alone might be the product of one writer. In this passage, we're reminded of the utter foolishness of trying to find true wisdom and understanding here on earth. They cannot be found in the deepest mine or on the tallest mountain. Wisdom and understanding are worth more than all the golden gemstones in the world, yet they're not something that mortals will be able to find on their own. True wisdom and understanding comes when we love and trust God and turn away from evil. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Job, chapter 28, verses 12 through 28. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Mortals do not know the way to it, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not in me. It cannot be gotten for gold, and silver cannot be weighed out as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onks or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal, the price of wisdom is above pearls. The crystal light of Ethiopia cannot compare with it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living. 
and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Death say, we have heard of a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and knows its place. For God looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God gave to the wind its weight and apportioned out the waters by measure, when God made a decree for the rain and a way for the thunderbolt, then God saw it and declared it. God established it and searched it out. And God said to humankind, truly the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. This is the word of God for the people of God. You pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Friends, as of this recording, nearly 800,000 people across the globe have died from COVID-19, including nearly 200,000 Americans. Since early March, over 400 Oregonians have died and 55 of our neighbors here in Clackamas County. Over the course of six months, over three quarters of a million people have died and the numbers continue to climb. The curve swoops upward, led by a spike of cases here in the U.S. We don't know how many will die before a vaccine is developed and widely spread among the world's population, but it will be a number that will still be incomprehensible. And so we grieve. We grieve at the senseless loss of life. We grieve at the loss of opportunities those deaths and this pandemic represents. We grieve what could have been, and we grieve the loss of what we thought was normal. If you add to this the evidence that climate change may soon be irreversible, and the almost daily dismantling of important institutions in our country, an economy that seems to be collapsing all around us, an ongoing strife in our streets, and it's easy to succumb to despair, to succumb to this grief, and to throw up our hands and say, it's all too much. For those of us who are stuck at home, it's particularly difficult as we, we find it hard not to obsess about the latest statistic or the latest prognosis or the latest assault on common decency. As we've been exploring this summer, it seems that everything is unraveling. With the psalmist, we may well ask, how long, O Lord, how long? However, the question is, is this the end of something or is it the beginning of something else? Now, I believe that the universe's arc is toward justice. I believe that our world will eventually become more just, more equitable, more kind to all of its citizens. I believe that day will come. But the last six months or the last four years or the last 400, however you want to count it, reminds us that, turn, that our timing is not God's timing. And that the time of peace and prosperity for all is still a long way off. As the saying goes, 
we will not be able to sit in the shade of the trees that we are planting today. Now, of course, there have been times in history where despair and fear of destruction and death were very, very real. Even as we mourn the state of our country and our planet, we must remember that for most of us, particularly those of us who are white and healthy, our lives are so far probably not at stake. The pandemic reminds us that we are all susceptible to life-threatening illnesses, but to be sure, statistically, we aren't likely to be laid low by the pandemic and aren't likely to be on the street should the economy continue to plummet, so far at least. Part of what is so upsetting and frankly terrifying about this pandemic is that none of us knows what lies ahead. Now, I subscribe to a mailing list that sends me meditations from the Center for Action and Contemplation. This week, as the story of Job was bouncing around in my head, the daily emails from Richard Rohr were talking about order, disorder, and reorder. And Rohr points out that this pattern, order, disorder, reorder, is a pattern that stories from almost all human traditions follow. It's the classic hero's journey, as outlined by Robert Campbell. It's the basic structure of the book of Job. Job is a prosperous man. All is taken away from him. He refuses to curse God, and all is restored to him threefold. This model is also present in Native American stories of the seasons. It's there in the Jewish traditions of exodus, exile, and return. And as Christians, we see it in Jesus' ministry, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. From order to disorder to reorder. Life, death, rebirth. To borrow a phrase from the Disney movie of Beauty and the Beast, which coincidentally also includes this journey for Belle, it is a tale as old as time. But what does that do for us right now? How are we to make sense of what we see going on in our world? How can we move beyond despair, beyond grief? What does Job have to say to us other than God's ways are mysterious? Are we ever really satisfied with that response? Sometimes I think the phrase, everything happens for a reason, should be retired. In the midst of suffering, great and small, are we really able to calm our tormented hearts with the idea that there is some purpose to all of this, some mysterious purpose? Now, where we are today, the situation we find ourselves in, has a unique quality. This is a global pandemic, and no one alive today has ever experienced something like this. There isn't anyone we can turn to who can say, I've seen this before, this is what's going to happen, this is what you can expect. Our most esteemed scientist tells us that they are just as in the dark as we are about the path this pandemic will take. It seems like the only people who claim that they have all the right answers are the people that we are least able to trust right now. And this pandemic affects every one of us. No one is spared from its impact on our lives. We're all going through this together. And again, no one really knows what the path ahead looks like. So consequently, we find ourselves in despair. When the pandemic is added on to all the other uncertainties facing our world today, it drives us deeper into despair, deeper into ourselves. We want to bury our, our heads under the covers until someone tells us it's safe to come out. That's a completely understandable reaction. 
However, the problem with that reaction is that if we hide away, if we bury ourselves under our covers, we will not be able to be there for others. We are all going through this. We are all on this journey together. No one knows how this is all going to end. But if we do not reach out to each other, if we are not there to absorb and reflect the pain others are experiencing, we will continue in a spiral of despair that ultimately leads to cynicism, anger, more fear, and the death of the soul. In the pattern of order, disorder, reorder, we know that we're in the midst of disorder. We desperately want to believe that the reorder will come soon. Furthermore, we want to know why we suffer. What is the grand idea that is behind our suffering? We want to understand so that we can give shape to our suffering and so that we can explain to our children why this is happening. Now, what is instrumental in the order, disorder, reorder pattern is that for reorder to happen, disorder must be endured. As Richard Rohr writes, to grow toward love, union, salvation, or enlightenment, we must be moved from order to disorder, and then ultimately to reorder. Now, my two kids are teenagers, and they stopped asking me why a long time ago. I know that they still look to marrying me for answers, and they depend on us to help them make sense of the world they see, but they aren't coming to us as they used to, asking, why, Daddy, why? And so I wonder what I would say to them today if they did come asking me why. Even as an adult, I find myself bouncing back and forth between wanting to believe that there's a purpose behind all the horrible things happening and knowing that there is no grand design for each of our days. If my daughter were to come to me and ask why this is happening, I might say something like, well, I don't know why. And no one really knows why. All we can do is trust that we are loved by God and that God wants us to take care of each other. I might say, do you see the medical workers are putting their lives on the line, working so hard to take care of people? Do you see the scientists who are trying to cut through all the noise to give us good, solid medical advice? And now do you see the people in the streets rising up and demanding justice? These are all good things, right? They are doing what I believe God wants us to do, taking care of each other, staying kind and patient with each other and showing love. Last week, Mary and I took an overnight in downtown Portland to celebrate our anniversary. We walked around town, rode bikes on the waterfront, strolled together in our favorite city, the city we fell in love with. As we walked, though, it was hard to ignore how empty the streets were. It was a beautiful Thursday evening in August, and the streets were pretty empty. There were a lot of closed restaurants and stores. There were no music festivals on the waterfront, no cars jockeying with bicycles to get across the bridge. As we walked, we thought about how sad it was that it was so empty. How unfortunate it was that people were scared to come downtown, that businesses had closed, the pandemic was forcing people to stay away. It seemed tragic. 
until it dawned on us that the absence of people, the absence of festivals, the quiet streets, meant that people were doing what they were supposed to be doing to keep the pandemic from getting out of control. People were staying home so that they could prevent others from getting sick. People were living out their commitment to others in their community to try to keep each other safe. The empty streets were not a sign of economic devastation, but were instead a sign of a strong community working together. Now, I know the economy is in a free fall, and I know that some of the businesses downtown will never be able to open up again. I know that a lot of people have been avoiding downtown, thinking it's a war zone. It's not. But I also choose to see the absence of people as a sign of great compassion. People staying home to prevent others from getting sick. Other people on the streets marching, protesting, demanding justice for people of color. People looking out for their neighbors, making sure they're okay. I've probably had more conversations with people in my neighborhood in the last nine months than I have at any other time in the last three years. Now, they aren't long conversations, to be sure. Usually just a casual greeting from behind masks as we walk our dog. But the connections all the same. My friends, I believe that out of the disorder we are seeing today, a new order, a new world is being built. A world that is more compassionate, more just, and more equitable. In the midst of this disorder, hope can be hard to find and even harder to hold on to. And so many in our world want us to succumb to our cynicism. They want us to hunker down, look out for ourselves only. They want us to believe that there's no chance for a better world, so why even try? With Job, though, we can remind ourselves and others that seeking truth is not about finding answers, but instead about how we treat each other. At the end of the passage, Job says, Truly, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding. Fear of the Lord as in love tirelessly and strenuously, and to depart from evil by not succumbing to the evil impulses of those who want us to stay under our pillows. Turning away from evil, turning toward the good. In other words, loving our neighbor as ourselves. That is the source of true wisdom and understanding. That is how we move beyond grief. God, who is the source of love, wants us to look at the suffering and pain around us and instead of hiding in fear, to lift up instances of love, to continue our cries for justice, and to take care of each other. Doing those things will not give us sudden clarity as to why these things are happening, but doing these things may bring us peace and help us to manage each day. And each day that we can continue to love, is another day to be there for each other. Another chance to help a stranger or a friend. Another chance to continue to cry out for justice. Another chance to try to make things right in the midst of a whole lot wrong. Amen.